Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pot of Rosedale, a bronze pig full of hot takes. I am Ben, the resident Iowa fan, resident Go fan. Eric is not on the podcast today. He had a conflict, but that's not that big of a deal because we have our very special guest, Bill. We have a very special guest, Bill D. Filippo, uh, associate editor of Uproxx and co-host of the Roar Lions Roar Penn State podcast. Bill, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Ben. Always a always a pleasure to sit down and chat, even if our uh, two universities' pro football programs, uh, I'd say they don't like each other very much. That's interesting. I, I think. Well, we'll get into that. I, I don't know that I share that. I, you you maybe have a, a seething resentment towards Iowa. <laughs> I, I don't have the same animal. I mean, cultural is like an aristocracy. And other than Nebraska, who's the team I irrationally hate uh, an immense amount for you know geographic reasons and historic reasons, it's really then just resenting the the royalty at the top. And you've got Ohio State and you've got Michigan who get most of that ire because they've just been the cream of the crop. Penn State's just below that. Not yeah. enough for me to be really angry about it. And their teams have just been better. Maybe I don't know. I, other other people may disagree, but I mean, you still a little is still the being accused of faking interesting. Does that linger two years later? It, well, the thing is, obviously there are a lot of Penn state fans who were very unhappy about being accused of that. And I think a big reason why they were very unhappy with being accused of that, obviously it's because they lost the game, uh, but it's because the two guys that they ended up losing in that game, uh, Sean Clifford and PJ Mustafer were two losses that, they weren't able to replace them. Like those were two, those are probably the two guys on that team that couldn't stand to that Penn state could not tolerate losing. And they ended up losing both of them. They ended up losing the game as a result of it. So I, I think there is certainly a bit of that that goes into it, but then it's just generally the fact that like every Penn state, Iowa game for whatever reason, you know, there's the occasional, uh, occasional exception to this. They're disgusting. They're gross. They're grimy. And I think they just bring out the worst in every single football fan uh, oh, yeah. where we're just like, we're just like projecting the fact that like, why can't we be tougher than uh, these 18 to 22 year olds who are playing sports for free for my enjoyment? They should be better than that other team. And I think like that, that's the stuff that I think lingers more here than anything. It's just like the fact that none of these games are aesthetically pleasing. And yet we put ourselves through them and put our hopes and dreams into these teenagers winning them for us. Oh, well, as Iowa fans, we get that more than anything. Uh, <laughs> you know, hideous football is it somehow gotten uglier recently. No, it was yeah, I mean, clearly Sean Clifford wasn't faking. Uh, you know, if Sean Clifford's in the game, I, it, very unlikely that Iowa wins. It's clear that mm-hmm. Penn State simply couldn't move the ball without Sean and, Clifford. And I think, I mean, and I think mean, that's the big part of it, right? Like, if Sean Clifford specifically doesn't get hurt, Penn State probably wins that game. And I think there's, like, w- at least when it comes to just the context of the 2021 game, I think that Pe- Penn State couldn't move the ball for two and a half quarters and nearly won that football game. And I think there's just always going to be that lingering resentment in the back of the minds of every Penn state fan for that. Reason. Sure. Sure. And I, I always cringe. I mean, I, there's a part of my lizard brain because you're right. It football, part of why it gets so successful is it taps into just the rudimentary neolithic parts of our brain, right? Like mm-hmm. you just get into this raw tribal stuff and then like logic and rationality just goes out the window. I mean, there's that famous thing of the guy, the fan faking the injury or they're doing the shoulder thing, yeah. mocking the player. I had like one second where I thought for a half second, like, ooh, maybe that guy got right, but not Mustafer, not um, Sean Clifford. But one guy kind of winced and laid there and then hopped back up with a grin on his face. I thought for yeah. a second. But then Kirk Ferentz just like dumped a big canister of 
fuel on it because he he took it seriously. You know, if he had said, "Oh no, I don't think they were faking injuries or whatever," it might have sizzled, you know, died down a little bit. But yeah, he treated it seriously, so then that caused it to linger, and it wasn't seemed more than just angry fans. Um, yeah, what was but, what was his what was his phrase like? "I smell a rat" or something like that. Yes, which that is was like, exactly which is right. like, yeah. dude, if you're gonna say "I smell a rat," <laughs> like you bet everyone is going to get mad <laughs> which like kirk ferentz you, you know um for how annoying i think other fans view him as for how um it seems like iowa fans love and appreciate him but there are times where they're like please correct me if i'm wrong he knows no. what he's doing he's a very smart guy he's been around forever he knows what he's like imply not even what he's implying he knows what's going to happen when he says something that like inflammatory oh, yeah. Oh yeah, it wasn't like a rookie coach mistake who's like, oh, I stepped in it. You know, he knew. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, it depends on who you ask. Some some of us are more tired of a stick and some some are less, but when it comes to the offense, it's this whole gaslighting nonsense that's infuriating, and pretty mm-hmm. much all of us are sick of hearing bad offense is required to play great defense. Like that, right. that that's exhausting hearing that. Like, oh, somehow we moved the ball better, our defense would start to suck and we lose games. Like that, okay, that doesn't fly. But okay. Let's take a, a step into 2022, though. So, I, I, you know, looking at Penn State season, you had a nail biter to start, you know, to start off 2022 at West Lafayette, a kind of weird game against Northwestern, but then yeah. it really comes down to Penn State clobbering everybody that's not Ohio State and Michigan. What made Penn State so good, and maybe what were the issues of not being able to quite knock off the two best teams in the Big Ten? So, what? Two things. Eh, you know what? I'll say three things made Penn State good. One, uh, we'll start with the two on the offensive side of the football. Uh, Sean Clifford was he was better than I think a lot of college football fans think because he's a guy who was like who who just was around forever, was always pretty unremarkable. He had his ups and downs, all those sorts of things, but like. A lot of college football fans end up being surprised when you mention to them that Clifford, I, I think it was something somewhere in the range of like 25, 35, something like that in total QBR for all quarterbacks in the country. Like there's a bit of a perception around Clifford that he wasn't a good quarterback or he was, uh, you know, just kind of the copy and paste guy who grits his way to mediocre games. And that's it. He actually did a good job for Penn state last season. Didn't turn the ball over a ton with one major exception that we'll get to. uh, I'm sure at some point when we talk about Ohio state, but he did a really good job protecting the football, kind of making sure things were where they needed to be. He had a really good understanding of Penn state's offense. Uh, And then the other thing with Penn state, offense was they could really run the ball for the first time in years it's a it is a stat tonight that it's a stat that a lot of people brought up to one extent or another Penn State had a 100 yard rusher in the second game last season when Nicholas Singleton ran for 179 yards against Ohio prior to that Penn State did not have someone run for a hundred or more rushing yards since their sixth game of the 2020 season their final three games of Their final three games of that year, no one ran for 100 yards. Every game in the 2021 season, no one ran for 100 yards. And a mix of a better but still not like elite offensive line with two blue chip true freshman running backs in Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen really helped out Penn State. And then on the other side of the football, Penn State's defense was exceptional. Uh, Manny Diaz came in as Penn State's new defensive coordinator uh, after Brent Pry, the longtime defensive coordinator, left to take the Virginia Tech job. 
and it was a Manny Diaz defense. There were plenty of moments. There were some moments. I won't say plenty because man, you know, Manny has a bit of a reputation for being a guy whose defenses just get turbo gashed all the time. There were a couple of moments during the season where they just got ran over, where they allowed big plays, carved up that kind of thing. But for the most part, they were one of the best defenses in all of college football. Uh, Per SP plus Penn state ended last season as the 12th best defense in college football. Uh, They were one of the best defenses in college football at getting to the quarterback at forcing turnovers, that sort of thing. So you started to see it, Mixed with it, it was a Penn State offense that wasn't that was pretty good at they they kind of lacked big plays in the passing game, but they got those in the running game. They didn't make big mistakes in the passing game, and they had a really good defense. And it was able to give them a bit of you know a bit of certainty, a bit of a baseline that they kind of lacked in the previous couple of seasons. You put those together, and you have a team that on the heels of two subpar seasons, went 11 and two, seven and two in conference play and got to uh, win the Rose bowl. So yeah. it was a good, it was a season that Penn state really needed coming off of the 2020 and 2021 campaign, which is kind of Murphy's laws years for the Nittany lions. Um, so I guess this were kind of, you, you, you mentioned, you know, you needed a kind of a jumpstart. I mean, Penn state, you won, that was a 2016 was when you won the big 10 championship. Is that right? Or the year yeah, right? Tw- yeah. 2016, 2023 then. What's the expectation going in? You had a great year, couldn't topple Ohio State or Michigan, but otherwise an excellent year. What are Penn State fans hoping for in 2023? So I think a really important thing to mention here is that since it's the last year of the four-team playoff, there are you can make the very strong argument that there has been no program that has been as good as Penn State over the four-team playoff era that has not made it to the playoff. Under James sure. Franklin, Penn State went 11-3 and three in 2016. That was the year they won the Big Ten. Uh, Ohio State ended up going over them. They were 11-year te- 11-win team the following season, ended up missing out on the playoff. Uh, 2019, 11-year te- win team, missed out on the playoff. 2022, 11-win team missed out on the playoff. There were a couple of, you know, the COVID year was the only sub below 500 year they had in that entire stretch. So the hope, uh, the aspiration, in a lot of cases, the expectation for Penn State fans. And I think this is in part due to the fact that you've seen a lot of national media people kind of pick Penn State as their trendy pick to make it to the playoff you know everyone expects georgia to be there everyone expects one of ohio state or michigan to be there and then there's this hodgepodge of teams but which is whichever one of ohio state and michigan doesn't win the game alabama lsu usc florida state clemson texas and penn state is right in there sure. so the hope aspiration whatever for penn state fans this is the year the final year of the 14 playoff they were able to break through they beat at least one of ohio state or michigan and then the rest of the schedule is a lot like last year where they're able to you know being able to blow out everybody on your schedule for the most part probably isn't going to happen but you're able to just you know professional take care of business against West Virginia, Delaware, Illinois, Iowa, Northwestern, UMass, Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State. The reason we like college football as fans beyond Penn State is that never happened. 
happens. There's always a game or two in there where you can be caught, caught slipping, uh, whatever ends up happening. So Penn state can, the hope for Penn state fans, they avoid that beat at least one of Ohio state or Michigan, two teams that they can, maybe they're not quite as talented as those, as those teams, but they are one a to their one and they can eventually actually finally break through and make it to the playoff. Okay. So yeah, you mentioned last era, last year, the four team playoff. So as we, as we expand the big 10, I mean, when I, I wrote the Penn State's really biggest problem is that they're just in the same division as Ohio State and Michigan. Obviously, if they were in the West, they would be making Big Ten championships pretty often. Is there happiness that you're no longer going to automatically be, you know, shoved into a like tiny space with those two teams every year? Or is that something as Penn State, you're like, I'm happy that they're on the schedule all the time because we have to beat those teams and to show that we're the quote unquote best. You've got to beat the best to, to be the best or whatever the saying is. It's it's a really interesting question because I think there is a complex among some Penn State fans that everyone wants to be the protagonist of their own story. Of course. Right. Oh. And the story of Penn State football, particularly under James Franklin, in the eyes of a lot of fans, and this is something I go back and forth on. Like, I don't totally agree with it, don't totally disagree with it, but the Penn, the story of Penn State under James Franklin, it doesn't feel for a lot of fans as complete if they make it to this 12-team playoff, if they're able to win 11 games of the Big Ten, to, whatever it ends up being. If you if it doesn't involve beating Ohio State and or Michigan, and you're basically go, rolling through and beating uh, a bunch of mediocre to bad Big Ten teams, losing to one of those kind of elite teams or whatever you want to say, I think there's a bit of a complex about that. And I think there are some Penn State fans who are very cognizant of and put a lot of stock in that thing I said about not being one of being perhaps the best program in America to not break through in the 14 playoff era. Having said that, I, th- th- this is a TV show. This is a form of entertainment, for me, right? This sure. is a thing that uh, I do on Saturday. So I could put off other responsibilities that I have. And I think there is certainly something to be said of the fact that as the sport, and, you know, Penn State's a big reason for this. Penn, in the 1987 Fiesta Bowl, uh, Penn State and Miami is a big reason. was one of the big kind of turning points, flashpoints, you want to say, to get us to where we are now, where the ra- the challenge, uh, the race for the national championship is the single most important thing in the sport. And Penn State was a big reason why for that. And in this form of entertainment, being able to say Penn State's one of the teams to, to win a national championship, compete a national for a national championship, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, everybody wants that. So it, it's a really complex question. It's a really complex thing to answer because there are so many. I, I think if Penn State may, has had made it before, a lot of fans wouldn't be putting as much stock into the importance of this season. But also, you're right. Like, n- not having to go into every season where it feels like the ceiling could it feels like the ceiling is third no matter what penn state does and that's obviously changed a lot over the years but feeling like the ceiling is third no matter what penn state does because ohio state and michigan are two of the four best programs in college football th- that sucks and that's going away and 
I think that as long as I think in the eyes of a lot of Penn State fans, be getting that satisfying little bit this year would go a really long way. But if not, like I'm sure that in two years, if Penn State makes it to the semifinal of a 12-team playoff uh, with two losses and those two losses come to Ohio State and USC, they're, they're going to be loud, proud, and there in full voice. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, college football is so, so weird. This is the yes. NFL. No matter how bad your team is, you're never going to say, like, the goal for our NFL franchise is just, you know, we want to win nine games and maybe compete for a division title. Nobody's right. structuring their NFL team that way. In college basketball, you want to make the end of a tournament where, yeah, it's it's infinitesimal, but it's still a non-zero chance of winning a national title. Or you're still like, we want to get to the tournament and who knows what happens. Right. College football is about one of the only sports really where there is such a clear definitive hierarchy and it feels very entrenched. I, I use the word aristocracy sometimes. I mean, there's just these teams. And if you are not one of those teams, you really ought to, you know, adjust your expectations to be happier. And it's so weird because you need the the serfs, you need the dukes, uh, you need them to make the whole thing stand up. But you also, it's, it's so bizarre, uh, the question. Because, yeah. yeah, Penn State's been a lot closer than Iowa. We would just be happy with seriously attempting to have a good offense, I think, would feel like we were <laughs> um, you've been yeah, on that on the edge of that. And who knows if we stick to divisions and they just add the teams out west to the you know Midwest, who knows what they're gonna do. It's, it's a and, and, fascinating thing. And one thing that interests me in all of this is that we don't know the extent to which we don't know this yet. We don't know the extent to which the Big Ten is going to try and game all of this, right? Like it's very possible that I, I don't want to say very possible. Like, would it shock you if when once we get to a 12-team playoff, if, yeah, the very best teams, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, maybe USC, maybe Penn State, whatever, have, the, have more difficult schedules, but in an attempt to game this, a school like an Iowa, a school like a Michigan State, a school like a UCLA, a school like a Wisconsin or Washington or whatever – maybe the big 10 tries to make their schedules a little, and maybe you go on Penn state in with them. Like we just don't know how the big 10 as an institution is going to want to try and game this. So like, I think that fear of the unknown or like just that cluelessness we all have about how this is going to work. I I think that again, factors into the fact that Penn state fans want this very badly to be the year because it's the last year of what we know college football to be right now before everything becomes about, you know, this race for a 12 team playoff and trying to make sure you get a berth within that. Yeah, that's true. That's, I mean, it's, it's going to really transform the way successful seasons are looked. I mean, for Iowa, it's clearly like you, you make the big 10 West, you, you win the big 10 West. It's hard to argue that you had a bad season, you, you know, mm-hmm. even if your team wasn't great, like in 2021, you, you're like, you feel really good about your season, even if you were eight and four or whatever. Yeah. Now with that's gone, eight and four, and you're just a team, and you go to some one of the many gutted bowl games with you know backups playing for the most part, the, the people that don't have NFL careers yet to wor- worry about ruining. Doesn't feel quite so so nice. Yeah. Uh, but if you get more quality opponents, maybe it does. Maybe if all of a sudden you beat, you get to beat USC or an Oregon. Throw then maybe you do start to feel better about it. I don't know. It's you're right. It's a it's a strange new world that we're gonna hop into. Yeah. Um, and I- and, and I think I was, is, you know, kind of to that point, I was one of the programs, uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Purdue to a lesser extent, uh, that has a really good understanding of what Penn State is kind of facing in terms of 
you could have an incredible season. Iowa could win 11 games. Wisconsin could win 11 games, whatever. Really run through the Big Ten West. And then at a certain point, you're going to run into one of Ohio State or Michigan. And that's just kind of it. Penn State has that exact same problem, only it doesn't get to say it goes to the Big Ten championship game. Right. And that really, that, that does really, I think, bug a lot of people. So interesting. Well, yeah, there's God, that because it's we have the same sense of like this is the last shot. This is the final year mm-hmm. of the Big Ten West, at least as it's currently configured, without at least a you know with no USC or whomever would be thrown in together if they go back to divisions. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So this is like this is the last chance. We got to do it. I think Minnesota's in that same boat. Like that's the other than being Iowa, the Gophers. It's they haven't won a Big Ten West title yet. Like that's the thing that PG Fleck really needs to do to just cement his yeah. legacy completely. He's not on the hot seat by any stretch. He's a really good coach, but that's the thing. Like that's where he really wants to, that's the level to get to. And they're probably not getting a level higher than that, but that, that goes away. But all right, on this 2023 season, Penn State lost a lot of guys, but you also have a lot of guys. And I find it when I try to track and preview teams, it's, it's maddening trying to figure out, I don't know if they got better or worse. I can't really tell transfers all over the place. It's a big shrug. Kenneth Walker. I, I didn't know how good he was going to be before 2021. Mm-hmm. And he was the best running back in the big 10 a couple of years ago. So do you think Penn state better worse the same in any particular areas? Is there something that, well, we'll start here. Cause I think Penn state's mostly really good in a lot of areas. Is there an area that you're concerned about for 2023? Is there a position group that you think might, might spoil Penn state shots of making that 14 playoff? So there are two answers to this. The one, the easier one on the defensive side of the football is Penn State's defensive tackle room. And it's not because of a lack of talent. It's not because, uh, not because I think they're bad or anything like that. I think Penn State has a nice group of defensive tackles. The issue is that last year, Penn State's defensive tackles Penn State season revolved around two games last season, Ohio State and Michigan. The more embarrassing of the two was Michigan. And a big reason why they lost to Michigan was because they just got pushed around in the middle of their defense, along the defensive uh, uh, defensive tackle specifically, and they lost their best, biggest defensive tackle in P.J. Mustafer. After the game, James Franklin essentially called out, uh, without specifically calling out, someone someone's an educated guess for a lot of Penn state fans is defensive tackle Hakeem Beeman for wanting to be like Aaron Donald wanting to be a smaller undersized quick whatever guy and Beeman specifically is the guy to watch here he has bulked up to 284 pounds I think it was somewhere in the vicinity of like 260 last season but it's a group with talent. It's a group with a lot of veteran guys. Beeman is a senior. Devon Ellis is a senior. Koziah Izzard is a junior. Those are probably the three guys who are going to play the most at defensive tackle. But it's all about show me, don't tell me. And I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be a solid group. But I need to see it before I say it with any with, with any assurances. And then there's, I would say, the passing game in general wide receivers and quarterback. Uh, I am sure we will talk about the quarterback momentarily uh, in former number one recruit, uh, former number one quarterback recruit, Drew Aller. But the thing with the wide receiver room is that Penn State's wide receivers lost its top two options from last year to the NFL in Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley. And the, the scuttlebutt out of camp is that 
Keandre Lambert Smith and Trey Wallace, two guys who are really talented, really good athletes. Uh, Lambert Smith has been around a bit longer and has just been a case of consistency. Uh, while Wallace is a younger guy who is known as a freak athlete and got a little bit of run last season. All accounts are they're the top two guys. And then it's just a jumbled mix of who is going to be next up. Penn State doesn't really have a clear cut answer to that. And it's just about can someone take the two or three good days that they're having in camp and turn it into an extended stretch? So they have a highly regarded uh, Kent State transfer, a guy by the name of Dante Cephas. They have a lot of younger dudes, a sophomore named Liam Clifford, who is Sean's uh, younger brother, a sophomore named Amari Evans, who is known as more of a burner type of receiver, uh, soft, a redshirt freshman named Caden Saunders, who was a very highly regarded recruit out of Ohio, uh, ended up going to Penn State and just wasn't able to have the year that maybe some people were expecting last year. A transfer from Florida State named Malik McLean, who was kind of a bigger physical profile guy they don't have. So I don't, I'm not concerned about Penn State's offensive line. I'm not concerned about Penn State's ability to run the ball. I think Penn State's tight end room is going to be one of the best in the nation. But finding consistency at wide receiver is a bit of a question going into this season. And it's one that's not going to be answered, potentially not even until they get to the Big Ten portion of their schedule. So then I guess let's transition to the schedule then. Auburn last year or two years ago? Am I? Yeah, last two seasons. Last year. So you've had Auburn. Is there somebody like Auburn on the schedule for Penn State this year? Well, I th- I'm going to say no. They start their season off uh, playing West Virginia at home in the night game. West Virginia going into this season, not expected to be an especially strong team. 56th in the nation in SP plus coming into the season. So not like they're not exactly a juggernaut. Then they play Delaware and FCS team week two, three, their three games against the big 10 West are then grouped together. Uh, then they're by week. Then they play UMass before getting into the back half of their schedule, which is all the big 10 East teams. So there is value. I would say in their non-conference schedule being three teams that they should be able to take care of business against because they have a lot of guys in the passing game in particular, and Aller, Drew Aller, especially his first time as Penn State's presumed starting quarterback, James Franklin's done the, um, he's pretended they don't have a starting quarterback. And yet for whatever reason, uh, Drew Aller is the one taking all the snaps with the ones sure. in practice and in all the marketing materials. So I think we could put two and two together on that one. I, there's a lot of value, I would say, in being able to roll Drew out there and be able to win three non-conference games with some amount of certainty but no they don't really have anyone in their non-conference schedule who is like going to put a who should put a scare into them it's college football so i won't say for sure but should be able to put a scare into them so is there some so we talked about him being the former number one recruit two years ago whenever it was is there any concern that he's really i mean he's going to have much of a learning curve or is the really ex- expectation that he'll be able to hit the ground running? I mean, yeah, I hear that the coach speak, it's a competition. We don't yeah, know. I mean, yeah. but it's, I mean, do you think is the expectation that he's really going to be pretty much game ready to go week one where well, there is going to be a learning curve. So heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? Sure. And he, Sean Clifford was the guy last season and they, uh, they did a very good job of getting our snaps in situations where you know, Penn State's up by three scores against Rutgers. We're going to put Drew in. We're going to let him get a taste of this. And they've done a very good job of holding his hand and bringing him along in a slow but responsible and reasonable way. Any concern essentially comes down to the fact that 
he's going from a really promising young guy, a really promising backup who got plenty of reps, but not a lot of especially high leverage reps to now you're the guy. Now you are the starting quarterback for the Pennsylvania State University football team. And we expect to be competing for a national championship for a playoff berth, whatever this season. So I think he's going to be fine. A big thing that that helps him is that with a very with a reliably good, you know, I think Penn State's offensive line is only going to be, quote unquote, only going to be about a seven out of ten. But that mixed with as good of a running back tandem as there is in the country. They don't need him to go in there and run the air and throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns every game. And if he can get through those first two games and really get up to speed by the time they have to make their first road trip, which is an 11 a.m. kick against Illinois, before then coming back to his first ever whiteout, which is the game against an Iowa team that has perhaps the best defense in the country, one of, if not the best secondaries in the country, that's great. If they find themselves in situations where uh, they need him to win them those games and he just does not look ready, that's a con- I would almost say that's a concern for them, but we're not going to learn much of anything, I would say, until those first two games and we until those games start rolling around and we get a, a sense of what does Penn State starting quarterback Drew Auer look like? How is he before the snap? How is he uh, with all the stuff that Sean Clifford was really good at? Is he going to be smart about not turning the ball over, knowing when to live to fight another day, knowing when he has to, you know, has to try and make something happen, but do it in a responsible way. All these little things that you can't know about until a guy is officially the starting quarterback of a college football team. Sure. Okay. So I'm, even though you just said you don't know enough about him to say some answer this question potentially, is how much of a threat to run the ball is he? I ask as an uh, Iowa fan, really, in this yeah. context. No, that, that that's fair. So it's funny because the comp for him coming out of coming out of high school was Josh Allen and it was never it was never a hundred percent clear if the comp was Josh Allen because everyone is just going to say any six foot five white dude with a strong arm is Josh Allen nowadays or if it's because he actually has so much of the off schedule stuff so much of the ability to extend play stuff that makes Allen so special and he's a guy I think it's more the former than the latter. He's certainly not a guy who's going to be uh, dropping back. And he's not Nate. Was Nate Stanley the Iowa quarterback who couldn't move? <laughs> Iowa's had a lot of quarterbacks could move. Uh, but yeah, Nate Stanley didn't move. He rarely sprinted. And then and Petrus even less so uh, than Stanley. Yeah. So he's. I don't think he's going to be in the mold of either of those guys. But like, I, I don't think he's going to be a guy who they're exactly going to be saying like, all right, we're going to be running Oregon in 2014's offense out here. Go be Marcus Mariota for us. Not among the least mobile quarterbacks in the history of college football, but um, yeah, but not yeah, not running a sort of spread scheme. Quarterback uh, honestly, take snaps all the time. A decent, I, I think, and and this is just based off of um, you know partially me talking out of my ass, but from what I've uh, the bits that I've seen of him was. Has been written and said about him. I think a comparison for him might be a guy like, you know, like a CJ Stroud. Stroud last season, 47 carries, 108 yards. He can move a little bit, but why would you take him out of the pocket and have him try and throw, run the football when he is so blessed 
throwing it or a guy like a Dwayne Haskins, 78 carries 108 yards, four touchdowns uh, guys who could move, but not guys who it's by no means their biggest strength. It sounds like if Penn state doesn't make the playoff fans are going to be disappointed. I mean, is that fair to say on the whole? I mean, obviously you've got a spectrum and you've got the homers versus the haters on one end, but they didn't make the 14 playoff. It's going to feel like a lost yeah. opportunity. Okay. I, I think if Penn State wins 11 games, splits Michigan and Ohio State, I, I, I it's a tough question to answer. If Penn State goes 11 and one, splits Michigan and Ohio State, but doesn't make it to the Big Ten championship game, and the committee ends up going SEC winner, Big Ten winner, either of the ACC, the ACC winner because one of Clemson or Florida State runs the table or only has one loss, the Pac-12 winner because one of USC, Oregon, Washington, whomever only has one loss. I think it would hurt, but at least it would be something that people can live with. If Penn State goes 10-2 and two and never even puts itself in the conversation, I think for a decent number of fans, that would really hurt. If Penn State goes 11 and one if Penn State goes 10 and two wins the big 10 again and misses out on the playoff I think that would drive a lot of people insane but I think there's a lot of con <laughs> I think there's a lot of context oh, that goes into that Penn State knows I think at the end of the day Penn State and its fans know if they go 11 and one and they win the big 10 they don't have to worry about a single thing if they go 11 and one they beat one of Ohio State or Michigan they come in second in the big 10 for all intents and purposes and just conference champions make it over them. It would hurt. It would suck. But I think fans wouldn't react as viscerally negatively as they could. And then, you know, I think they're going to go 10 and two this season, but there are oh. a lot, certainly a lot of people out there who think if Penn state win, go 10 and two and lose to Ohio state and Michigan, that would be a really big missed opportunity. Okay. So you already, you already kind of answered my next question, which is, I mean, call, call your shot. How many games did Penn state win? Are you saying 10 and two with the losses to Ohio state and Michigan again? I as so this is this is kind of my hedge on it. As we enter the season, yes, that is my answer. If we get through oh, Illinois and Iowa specifically, two teams that are big and physical and nasty and tough, and Penn State is able to, you know, Penn State's defense is not getting pushed around in the trenches. Penn State's offense is humming and able to move the ball against them. Then I will change my two. And then I will say, I think this team can win 11 or potentially even 12 games. But as we enter the season, I think Ohio State and Michigan are both just a little bit better than Penn State. Both of those teams, uh, you know, Penn State is ranked eighth in SP plus going into the season. Ohio State and Michigan are two and three. Uh, Ohio State and Michigan are two and three entering this season in the AP poll. Like all these various things indicate going into the season, there's a bit of a gap between those two and Penn state. And it's not a very big gap. It is actually an incredibly small gap, but it's one that still exists. And for me, as we are entering this season and based off of what we know, I don't know if Penn state is able, is going to beat either of those teams. But again, Penn state goes into that game against Iowa and whoops up on them, which I don't know if that's going to happen. It's Penn state I, and Iowa. We talked about I, this a bit. I, that changes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we're fine. I mean, I'll just go ahead and tell you. I mean, I've got two games that I think Iowa has a very small shots, and I'm, I'm treating it as automatic losses. It's at Penn State and at Wisconsin. So mm. I, I will be shocked. I, I mean, Iowa's going to be what? A two-touchdown underdog probably, give or take, at least 10 going into that uh, game, I think. Let me uh, look. SP Plus has Penn State. 
I was, uh, I have to do math. I have to do math. Has Penn would have Penn State favored by about ten points. Okay. Okay. So I mean, you're talking about Iowa coming in in an environment. We've already alluded to the faking injuries thing for two years, which sounds very much like it's in the hearts and minds of the Nittany Lion fans, <laughs> and they're going to have a day of boozing and getting pumped and whatever improvements Iowa's offense may or may not make, I, I don't think they're going to be gelling by the fourth game of the season when they played two very bad teams and a beleaguered by gambling issues, Iowa state team. So I will be shocked if Iowa <laughs> wins that straight up. I'll be delighted, but shocked. You know, I think you mentioned, I mean, yeah, there's just like a small gap going through the 2020. It was like any offensive stat there's Ohio state and Michigan or Michigan, Ohio state. And then there's Penn state just right there. Number three, yep. like almost Every single one. I think that you Penn State, I think did lead in sacks. The aggressive defense, I think, did get to quarterback more than mm-hmm. any other defense. Uh, but it was there was just like just always right there. And there was the, the clear top three, and then there was a, a gap. And everything except for like yards per uh attempt, gophers were number two because they ran the ball so much. It was fascinating. They ran like 67% of the time. So they got like eight and a half yards for pass, a pass, because mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't pass very often. They got a lot of juice from their passing game. They just didn't yeah. do it much. Um, and Ohio State's number one. So it's uh, fascinating. Just one one quick thing I do want to mention sure. uh, before we get b- before we move on from the Iowa coming to Penn State point. I generally agree with most of that, but I do think it's worth mentioning. 2021, Penn State played Michigan, and yes, that game was a gross noon kick. But Cade McNamara and Eric All did essentially win that game for Michigan. So I do think it's worth mentioning that, like. I, I certainly agree with a lot of the stuff you say, but there, if there's one thing I might push back on a tiny bit, it's that basically, you know, to uh, the most important guy on uh, on Iowa's team in McNamara and then one of the most important guys on Iowa's team in Eric All are going to have some sense of what is waiting for them. Uh, everyone else is a completely different story. Uh, Brian Ferentz specifically, because it's possible that Brian Ferentz decides to just pump the, uh, take three knees and have Tory Taylor try and pin Penn State deep, but uh, we'll see. Well, he's got us. He's contractually obligated to keep his job to score at least twenty-five points can, a game. Can, can, okay, average. can I can I ask you about that? <laughs> sure, sure. Does anyone actually think that if Iowa doesn't score average twenty-five points per game, and I think uh, I think they're going to do everything they can they can obviously no certainly not a hot take here to run up the score against Utah state against Western Michigan against yeah, Northwestern, oh. blah, 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 blah. Does anyone actually think that Kirk isn't going to find some weird way to like fire Brian because he's contractually obligated to, and then bring him back as like a special advisor. I, I very much possible. Uh, I, yeah, very much possible. The only unknown to that is right now we've got a trans, you know, we've got a temporary AD who may become the full-time AD. We don't know. Okay. Uh, that'd be the only thing. Does she want to stir the pot? Does she want to help Kirk? What loyalists does she have to Kirk? Clearly Gary Barta didn't want to do anything to upset Kirk yeah. and just let him run the show. Maybe there's a change there. That's the only thing that gives me pause. We'll see. I, I, yeah, I think they're going to hit 25 points for him just because the schedule. I mean, Utah State had one of the 10 worst defenses in college football last year. Iowa's team last year could have probably hit 30 points against them. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, they're going to rack it up. They're going to hit, you know, a 35, 40 points against, yes, Northwestern, you know, very beleaguered Northwestern, Utah State, all the teams you just mentioned, Western Michigan, and the average will be fine, even though Iowa could, you know, score three points or 10 points against Penn State. But then, yeah, the real mystery for Iowa is the offensive line. If Cade McNamara is healthy, they're better. Tight ends are always fine. They have talent wide receivers. We found out last year that really the issue hasn't been that Iowa's wide receivers are all that bad necessarily with Charlie Jones just 
shredding Purdue single season receiving records, a place where they've had a lot of good receivers. Uh, it's really just going to be, can the offensive line be productive yeah. better than, I mean, Petra's got a lot of the flack and some of it was fair, but some of it was also just an offensive line that was not equipped to play in a big 10 with all these physical, awesome friends every week. Okay. So we'll see. That'll be the biggest thing, but they won't have had that long to gel by the time they, I mean, I've has got a good defense, so they'll have at least one sort of test before Penn state, but I wouldn't put money on Iowa uh, beating Penn state straight up. I, you just, I, I, you would have to give me insane odds for me to do that. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. There are probably Iowa state players who would put money on that. Well, that's true. Good point. <laughs> Fair point. Um, I have to ask about special teams. Cause I was trying to find week. You know, I was like, what did Penn state do bad? Oh, it wasn't bad so much. You lost Jordan Stout two years ago, so maybe – what are your thoughts on Penn State's special teams? Just looking for any kind of edge for Iowa possibly. Can I just count on Iowa having the edge in the punting game? Emma, what's what's the policy on, on swearing on here? Okay. I am shitting bricks over this. Oh, uh, okay. Penn, Penn State – so last year Penn State, their starting punter was a transfer by the name of Barney Amore, who was a – perfectly okay uh college punter wasn't anything spectacular he was just a reliable solid okay punter uh penn state's kicker was a guy named uh jake pinnegar actually an iowa native he yeah not far from yeah he had an up and down career ended uh on a relatively high note but penn state has to replace both of its both of them this year. They're uh they have two former blue chip recruits, a uh, guys by the name of Sanders Sahadic at place kicker and Alex Paquetta at punter. Uh, but they also brought in a pair of transfers, a guy named Riley Thompson from Melbourne, Australia. Aussie punter uh started at Florida Atlantic is now up here. Uh, and then Alex Falcons, who kicked at Columbia and is now up here. Penn St- in, in addition to all of that, Penn State had the best long snapper in the country last year, a guy by the name of Chris Stoll. He is now gone. So Penn State, in terms of the guys who actually kick the football, it is a gigantic question mark. It is a total unknown. We're not going to know for sure until the season, really as the season goes on, what Penn State has in its kicking game. Return game, I think, is going to be fine. Penn State has too many guys who are really talented and special athletically to not be able to have a decent return game. But yeah, when it comes to place kicking and punting, uh, it's kind of gone under the radar this year because I think a lot of the talk around Penn State and any uncertainty revolves around what's Drew Aller going to be because the quarterback just gets that attention inherently. But their their kicking situation is legitimately – you know, and to the point that I even forgot to bring it up earlier when you asked about the biggest question, it is legitimately probably the biggest question on the entire roster. Okay. So if I'm trying to to convince myself, if I'm trying to psych myself up for the chances of a, of a big upset, I, I can write in maybe Iowa wins the field position game with punting and maybe gets a big return out of Cooper DeGene and Penn State misses a kick. I can, I can give me just a smidgen of hope. You're, I'm now at the dumb I, and dumber. So you're saying there's a chance. I'm now at that that point of this. So here's, here's the thing. If Penn State this is kind of a general general thing and a very obvious thing if penn state can't beat iowa in what is essentially the most intimidating environment or is up there in the most intimidating environments in college football the whiteout game at night in happy valley because tory taylor takes it over i think that indicates there are much bigger issues on this penn state team having said that i'm also not ruling out the possibility that pens because that's that in a big way the 2021 game 
that's a big reason why Penn State ended up losing it, right? Like they, yes, Sean Clifford ends up going out. Yes, PJ Mustaver ends up going out. Yes, Taquan Roberson was just a disaster at quarterback. But at a certain point, you know, the boa constrictor that is Iowa football started giving their drives were starting on the two yard line, starting on the three yard line, starting on the six yard line, all these sorts of things. And, you know, we, we in happy Valley have seen specifically what happens when Tory Taylor gets in his bag and starts pinning you deep. I don't think that will be as big of an issue this year, but you know, I've been wrong plenty of times before. Well, it'll help. I mean, you'll be in a loud environment, but when you're on offense, you won't be in, they won't be in the loudest environment about possible. That was about the loudest I'd ever heard Kinnick be, uh, and they just couldn't yeah. even snap the football at times. So crazy. But that was, again, kind of a, a fluky break for Iowa on a – was a Jack Campbell hit, I think, of, of Sean Clifford. So, okay, you've got you've got Penn State going 10-2, and two, so you make it feel better. I, I picked them to, to do the over, so it feels like maybe I did the over-under for all the Big Ten teams. So I picked the over, so I should feel good about that. I would say nine and a half wins for Penn State. That's insane to me because the implication is they're going to lose to – one of Illinois, Iowa, or Maryland, or Michigan State. And I do think Penn State is clearly better than all of those teams entering the season. So nine and a half to me is pretty nuts. It's like, yeah, I mean, they no problem really getting to 10 wins. Other than, well, I guess since I have you, what what was the deal with that weird Northwestern game last year, the 17-7 game? That is there a particular reason why Penn State only scored 17 points? against a frankly bad Northwestern team is there, or is it just college football is weird? It was played in a monsoon and Penn state couldn't, it was played in a monsoon. Penn state turned the ball over five times with four fumbles, uh, four (laughs) fumbles because uh, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, it was their first, basically their first game as uh, college running backs in that kind of environment. So it, it, they, they just got caught up on uh, in the, you know, the, this phrase is usually used more with Mark D'Antonio, but what was the Pat Fitzgerald weather machine in Happy Valley? And as a result, like it ended up being a really gross, really disgusting game. So mostly, mostly weather inflicted. Got yes. it. Okay. Regardless of the implications of maybe measuring success for a college football season, are, are, are you at all happy about the expansion? I've not, so far, I've not found any Big Ten, you know, blogger person who's hmm. at all happy about adding the four teams is is that true is penn state penn state seems like one of those i mean do you have does penn state even have a real rival is there a team that penn state just consistently and historically hates it's actually funny you mentioned that because when when the big 10 did that um did flex protect plus was that the the name of that that they like threw on the protected games that you're going to play in this new big 10 penn state was the only team that didn't get one Penn State was the only team that did not get a um, a a consistent game before you know before they added Oregon and uh, and Washington. But you know Penn State's rival, quote unquote rival in the Big Ten, they're in a, they're in a weird spot because there are basically three teams that over the years have have competed with Penn State at the very top of the Big Ten East. Michigan State, which their rival is Michigan, Michigan, which their rivals are Michigan and Ohio State and Ohio State and their rival is Michigan. So Penn State's in this weird situation where it doesn't really have a real rival. Maryland and Rutgers are two two schools, football programs that don't like Penn State and Penn State doesn't like them. But it's been a lot of punching down against them. Penn State's historical rival is Pitt, but Pitt is in the ACC. So Penn State doesn't. Yeah, uh, Penn State doesn't really have a, uh, a 
you know, a team note that can be classified as a rival in the Big Ten, I would say. Thinking of adding four new teams, some of which are more premier programs than others. It's just like, great, more more teams we can play. It just total, you know, and that Penn State's a more of a Johnny-come-lately, the Big Ten, what was it, in the 90s, whenever that the switch happened? Yeah. Is it just like, oh, we're we're cool, we, we're not upset about it, we'll, we'll play whomever? Is there is there ambivalence about expansion? Just what's the Penn State view on expansion is the I, question I'm asking. I think whenever... I don't know if you've you've noticed this, but whenever my friends and I are talking about expansion, it's never discussed as how does this impact Penn State. It's just such a big picture thing that it's always talked about in the lens of college football more broadly and this like this decades long march towards being a essentially a professional football league that is just played at colleges and universities. I like, I think every Penn state fan I know who thinks it sucks will say that they think this sucks because of what it kind of does to the fabric of the sport more broadly. I, I don't know too many, you know, I, I, I certainly have friends who are like, Oh, cool. I'll get a trip to Eugene out of this. I'll get a trip to Seattle out of this. I'll get a trip to Los Angeles out of this. Uh, you know, when whatever that ends up strongly excite or is like, hell yeah, Penn State, Oregon, 1994 Rose Bowl. I've been dying for this. I can't wait to see this every year. But I also don't know anyone who is like views this as a sanctity of the Big Ten specifically thing. I think a lot of a lot of people I know, and again, maybe your experience with this is totally different. A lot of the conversations I have with my friends are about how this impacts college football on the whole more than how this impacts Penn State specifically. And I don't know, is, is Iowa like that? Well, so no, we're different. Just we have rivals that we care about, I think, more right. than, than you. That's the only key difference. Every, everybody I've talked to thinks it's bad for college football. I mean, I've not, there's nobody, I've not heard the, this is good for college football writ large. And nobody's taken that perspective that I've seen. It's got to be out there. All positions seem to be available on Twitter somewhere if you want to find them. But my straw polls and just combing Twitter, everybody thinks this sucks in a broad sense. It's not good. Certainly it's not good for specific programs. It's horrible for Washington State. I've got cousins that went to school there. They're they're big Cougar fans. Mm -hmm. Iowa, we really just, we want to play Nebraska. We we were cleared before we added Oregon and Washington. We were cleared, but we wanted Nebraska, Minnesota, and Wisconsin every year. That's the thing. I, I want them on the schedule every year. That's I would say that's generally the Iowa position for most Iowa fans. Sure, it'd make more sense to play Illinois or Northwestern. They're a lot closer than playing teams on the West Coast, but I don't think we care so much about Illinois and Northwestern. The, the schools that are most on our level and we most identify, and Nebraska fans disagree because I think they, they feel like they're a better mm-hmm. brand, but I think it's Nebraska, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. We feel kind of comparably comparable culturally, structurally. I mean, we just think those are the teams we want to play. And to varying degrees, I don't have seething hatred for Wisconsin and Minnesota. I, I like them both and have a begrudging admiration. Um, but those are the teams I want to see. And if those are lost, then I think Iowa fans will feel it's a net net loss. If we have those two teams on the schedule, then everything else that happens is irrelevant. I mean, you want to give us a bad schedule yeah. with Penn State, Ohio State, Oregon, USC. Okay. I mean, we'll get clobbered. We'll have a bad year. But as long as we're playing those other three teams that we most compare ourselves to, that's what we want. That's the yeah. big difference, I think. I the, the one thing I will say is I've seen a few this is good things, but the reason that people say it's good, I think it's, it's a really interesting, what you're essentially saying is that I think the point of college football needs to be 
determining who the national champion is going to be. If you think college football needs to be a sport where the single most important thing is being able to say this team won, this team didn't, this team is the one standing at the end of the year. I think you think this is all a good thing. And I think second to that is my like, prediction in all of this is that at a certain point the money is going to uh start asking questions about hey why do we need northwestern here why do we need why do we need uh vanderbilt here why do we need rutgers here and the money is then going to instead of swinging as broadly as it is now start contracting and we start getting the super league type thing where there are 20 teams in one league competing for a national championship. And as long as you are a fan of one of those programs, I think you can talk yourself into this, not necessarily being a bad thing because it's never going to impact you. But I have actually seen a little bit of it. And every time I see it, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man, like relax, please, for the love of God. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you were to tell me that eventually Iowa is on the inside, but they're part of the super conference and maybe some of their geographic rivals aren't. And then it's Iowa's job to just be, you know, a punching bag without the benefit of a salary cap and, you know, a sort of socialist system in the NFL where the worst team gets the first pick of the talent where you just have to just prop up the big time programs. At some point, you, you know, that's not fun. I mean, I guess you technically have a shot, but when you have less resources talent wise, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, do I want my job to just be to edify the national champions that i have no chance exactly. of like couldn't be like no that's that's that wouldn't be very fun i get but if you're telling me i have to accept that i was not going to win cha- and they're not ever going to win a national championship i at least want to be playing teams that can beat that are fun to play and that right that that's what you need yeah to have all these less like middle class basically in college football there has to be takeaways that are fun and worthwhile to pay attention and engage sort of semi-depressing note to engage on bill but i, I really <laughs> appreciate your time this is awesome uh, good luck to Penn. I'm going to say it begrudgingly. Good luck to, to Penn State. <laughs> the upcoming football season. I, I'm going to hope I'm wrong. Uh, I don't think I am. I wouldn't bet on it, but I hope I'm wrong and that I was able to pull Penn uh, upset week four. Thank you for your time. This is great. Thanks for having me on, Ben. I really appreciate it.